Where did the restaurateur open his doors and, and, and infect anybody? It was, it was here, it was brought to us. We've done the right thing. You go to any restaurant now, they're cleaning benches, we're wearing masks, and it's like, well, hold on. We're trying to just operate a business and it's not conducive at the moment, and especially not in Victoria. It's a tough one, honestly. You look at your business and you go, well, you know what? Why did I do this? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The restrictions put in place to help nullify the spread of COVID-19 have put pressures on the hospitality industry like never before. It was autumn when the pandemic landed. It's now spring. And a clear roadmap to recovery is on the lips of many industry professionals. With many concerned about the old hospitality model, what does a roadmap look like beyond COVID? Ian Curley is the co-owner of French saloon Kirk's Wine Bar and the owner of consultancy firm Exec Chef. Ian, how are you, mate? I'm good, Hux. Yourself? I'm good. We've got a beautiful spring day, first day of spring here in uh, Melbourne, and the sun's shining, and uh, it would be a perfect time to be out and about and you know, either having a glass of wine or eating in a restaurant outside and stuff, or even playing golf, more importantly. But uh, unfortunately, we're still, <laughs> we're still in lockdown, which means that we're allowed out for an hour, and we've got to be home by before 8 o'clock at night, which... Uh, it's it, we're tired of it now. It, it would be good if we could stop this now. Well, has that first sunshine of uh, spring has that helped the sort of gloomy clouds that have been over Melbourne? Well, I think because it was winter, we were kind of like, okay, it's winter. You know, I mean, the the, the thing that really set us back was the second wave. It was like the first thing that we kind of got through the first bit. We thought, okay, this is okay. We're we're right. We've done it. We were all sort of high-fiving each other, thinking, okay, we're going to get through. We're going to get through. We haven't had as many deaths as Europe and the rest of the world. And we're thinking, okay, all right, this is fine. But then, of course, on the weekend before we were supposed to um, re-get into it, they said, no, you're going back into a hard lockdown, which is stage four, which is for us was like it was a lot. It was the death knell for a lot of people. But for us, it, it was like, oh, really? Because we just sort of like – we thought we'd sneaked over the line, which is probably where where we thought the problem was. But, you know, the numbers were going up and all of a sudden it was like, okay, you're going into a hard lockdown, which was, you know, uh, it doesn't matter which way you look at it, it, it hasn't been good. It's been good from, you know, it's been good for the fact that not, not a lot of people have died so far and that's been great. What hasn't been good is, is the way it's all been handled here in Vic, down in Victoria. You know, it's like they put the pressure back onto the people and, and especially people in business, which ha- that hasn't been fair when it was, it's been proven beyond a doubt pretty much that it was the government's fault what happened anyway. And it's not about blaming anybody for, for what it is, but ultimately they put it back to to basically me and you, if you were down here, they put it back to, oh, well, you've got to stay home and stuff like that. When that's not fair. It hasn't been... Nothing's been passed on from a restaurant down here. Well, I know it has been in Sydney and, and other places, and we get the congregation thing, but also it's not fair on what, what's happened to us. Few industries, apart from the arts, have had such a massive impact as hospitality from these restrictions. Oh, I mean, hospitality's just been decimated. But what they've done with uh, like the visa workers and the, I mean, 
I mean, I've got to look at it pragmatically. I'm an owner of a restaurant, and also, but I also work for people as well. So I look at it from from both sides of the coin, and that's where I think I look at it and say, well, okay, the visa workers they, they've just basically been thrown <laughs> thrown sideways and said, thank you very much for coming here and paying your taxes every every week, every month, and, and the like. But sorry, there's no support for you, and you kind of go, well, hold on a minute, that's not, that's not right. But also, who's got enough money then to support them? So most small businesses can't do that. So I own a small business, so we can't afford to do that. So we've we've got maybe fifteen people on JobKeeper or the like, or you know maybe twelve or thirteen. Um, so we've kept those people on. But also, your full time staff, you've got to think to yourself: Well, when we do reopen, now nobody's given us anything to say. Okay. From the 13th of September or the 15th or the end of September, you're going to reopen. So you'll have those staff. You can't, you can't get your business to work to a budget. So we're, we're all sort of up in the air down here in Victoria. And it's kind of, well, hold on a minute. You're supposed to be running it. And this is the issue that we've, a lot of people in Victoria are saying, that, well, who's running this? So if there was a disaster like there was with the bushfires, you send in the army or you send in the fire brigade because they know what they're doing and they fix it. How does how do public servants fix a pandemic? You know, it's like they have more meetings about it than what you got. You know, when they can, but the, the, the army should have fixed it. If there's a disaster, a natural disaster, you send in the army, and you know, <laughs> I can get, you can't get a public servant to fix this. When we uh, had a chat about coming on to deep in the weeds, one of the things you said was we need to discuss a way out of this crap, and we'll get to a to what the roadmap is like for hospitality shortly. But could you tell us what the impact of the lockdowns have been on French Saloon and Kirk's Wine Bar? Well, I mean, French Saloon was we, – we, I mean, I must admit, I was very proud of French Saloon. I loved it to bits. And it was a beautiful room. Kirk's Wine Bar was like – I think Kirk's will, will bounce back pretty quickly, I think, because we've got the outside section there and you can sit outside the front and it's a small wine bar. It doesn't cost a lot to run. It's got a beautiful business model. French Saloon's a little bit harder, but we had just received a, an amazing review from Jemima Cody in The Age. It looked like we were going to get our second hat. Everything was going along swimmingly in, in between there, and that was the Tuesday before. Now, there have been rumours of this COVID, and people were getting panicky, and the, uh, the Prime Minister had shut the flights off and stuff like that, but we got a review from Jemima Cody, and it was amazing. It was just it kind of said, you know, these guys know what they're doing with restaurants. They've got it all under control. You know, it's a great review. And we thought, okay, well, that's going to kick us through winter because obviously coming into winter, it's hard in, it's hard in anywhere. And for that week, we would have done like 10% of what we normally would do. And you kind of look at it and go, wow. So it came to the weekend. They were talking about lockdowns. And then my partner just said, no, no shut it down. Come, come Tuesday, everybody's in hard lockdown. That's it, bang. And then, but there was no, there was no, and this is the frustrating thing. They say, right, from Monday or Tuesday, you're going to be shut down. This is what's happening. But we can't get an answer from the other side, from government saying, well, when we reopen. They're saying to us now, okay, we're going to let you know on Sunday. Well, they scramble for an idea, which is, and they've got no idea because, Again, I just think that public servants can't be doing this. It's, it, it, you know, if I, I'm a chef, I know how to cook a meal. But someone said to me, "Can you go and run the state?" I'm going to go. No, nah, that's above me, and it's beyond, it's beyond them as well. 
And so we shut down straight away. We had a number of visa workers who we had to say, look, sorry, guys, we, we just can't support you because there's no support from the government. And basically, we, we had to scramble to find the money for the first six weeks for our full-time staff. And I've got to tell you, Hux, it was hard because you've got to find the money to pay them their $750 or their $1,500 a fortnight for the next six weeks. And you think about, like, for six to seven weeks that you've got to find that from your bank accounts. Now, in, in hospitality, you know, the margins are small, and it, and it was hard to find that money for the six or seven weeks before the government reimbursed us. And then they're saying that there's handouts and stuff like that, which all smoke and mirrors because it doesn't quite work that way. And you've got to f go through so many different loops to actually get the money back, and it's just not, you know, it's just not viable. So a lot of places didn't wouldn't have done that done that and i know a lot of restaurants in in melbourne that are like saying well that's no, not for us we, we we can't do that so but for us we kept on about 10 people 10 to 12 people on JobKeeper, and we we we, we were in a wait and see pattern now where we are in the cbd it's not conducive to doing takeaway because on the one hand the government say oh well you're allowed to do takeaway but we're in the middle of the CBD in the, in the legal and banking district and the government are telling, putting signs up saying, stay away from the city, don't go in unless you have to and if your boss makes you work, let us know and we'll find your boss. So they're kind of, on the one hand they're saying, you go in and on the other hand they're saying, no, stay away. So you kind of go, well, what's the point of opening for takeaway when, well, and there's another rule there about the Uber Eats and everybody else, these home delivery things, which I won't get into now because that's, a, that's another shambles. But also, it's, it's not fair that you can't trade, but they want you to trade. So it's kind of like, well, so we didn't do takeaway. We didn't do it at all. So for us, it wasn't a viable option. How did you feel during this period when, you know, you had to let go of international um, workers on visas that are a real vital cog in the industry and, and part of your group? Oh, yeah. Well, it's just shocking, but also these are the people that you've asked, you, you pleaded with to come in every every weekend and every day to fill in their roster and say, okay, you guys come in and do what you got to do and we'll pay you every week. But also you kind of, these are the guys that you rely on. Now, they're not there anymore. And also you've, 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 you've essentially, by, you're guilty by association by, by moving them aside and saying, look, I really can't afford to keep you. And of course, they... They look at you and go, well, hold on a minute. I've worked for you for this this long. And then, again, it's put back onto the owner to turn around and say, well, it's not my fault that I'm in this situation. Like if we all had a lot of money, we could also always support these people, but we, we don't do that. And nobody likes doing it. It, it breaks my heart that, we, that we've had to let some of our really good staff go, the people that we rely on and we've trained up and, that, and they've turned around and done for us what we've, what we've asked of them. And we've we've essentially just cast them out. And how bad is that? I mean, it's just such a bad a bad thing to look at and say, well, that, that's not how we treat staff. That's not what we do in in our industry, surely. And yet we, we're forced into that because what, how are you going to save your business if, if by by just keep paying out? It's just not fair. During the series. Uh, many people have talked about how the hospitality industry and the restaurant models were broken before COVID, and this will this will clean out the industry a little bit. What were some of the major issues with restaurant models before COVID that perhaps we could change? 
Well, the reality, okay, let's look at it. Look at penalty rates in Melbourne. So penalty rates in Melbourne, if you work on a Sunday, you get X amount of money, up, up near $40 or $38, $39 for someone to make a coffee for you on a Sunday. Now, if you charge, if you charge a 15% surcharge, people complain about the 15% surcharge. And you're ending up with all with penalty rates that are not sustainable to restaurants. You know, I think. I mean, I, I I have my own theory about how to fix it, but also it should be like everybody should get together and say, well, hold on a minute, can we look at that in, in, in perspective? Like, if you call out a plumber on a Sunday, you pay extra, which is fair enough. But you know, in our industry, we, we, you can't charge it any any extra for what else that we're doing, and everybody's like price competitive. If I had a four, if I'm charging coffee for four dollars fifty. And the shop next door is charging five dollars fifty. People are going to come to me as long as it's the same of a comparative rate, and that's what we've done forever in our industry. We've tried to be competitive with everybody in the industry. At the same time, we've just cannibalised ourselves because we in Melbourne we pride ourselves in this being the food capital. I know those people up in Sydney and uh, well, the Mexicans up in um, Queensland at the moment will will say something different, <laughs> but we. Um, we pride ourselves in Melbourne about our hospitality scene. And, and no matter which way you look at it, we've got some great restaurants here with a value for money, competitive, and, you know, you can eat out a different cuisine every night in Melbourne for, for a month and you still wouldn't be bored. So, and that's, and that's great. And all the people, all the restaurants that are employing people are putting people to work and paying their taxes and they're doing, doing the right thing and they get penalised for it by having high penalty rates. And when they turn around, they say, oh, yeah, but you can't rip off the worker. Who's ripping off the worker? <laughs> Nobody's ripping off any workers in Melbourne. I can guarantee you right now, you know, not in, rest not in decent restaurants or sensible restaurants that are playing by the rules. You know, we're not exploiting rest workers. And, in fact, if you look at it from the other perspective, like a, a first-year apprentice, honestly, you're going to <laughs> you're get more more work out of a pumpkin really you know from a first year apprentice but you've got to pay them something like, like six or seven hundred seven hundred dollars to think hold on where's the training here and that's the thing that we're we're hampered with and, and you're handcuffed to these these rules and regulations which and, and it's really not fair because we, it's not done uh, it's not done by in government the government just sit around oh yeah we impose that fine and all that sort of stuff well that's not it's not right what do you think some of the solutions are to go forward in regards to raising prices across the board in the industry? Everybody should be – this is the thing. Everybody should be paying a competitive price for food. For example, if you're going to like – in Melbourne, we should be charging Sydney prices, okay? In Sydney, they do it and they, they put it away and say, oh, it's because it's more expensive to live in Sydney and everything else is more expensive. Well, we should be paying that. Well, unfortunately, you've got to be competitive – with, with the, the people who are next door to you. And then when and customer was going to look at it and say, well, I'd rather go next door and have a cheaper feed or, or the like. So everybody's conscious of that. Yes, we have to put our prices up, but it's a hospitality industry. And then a lot of people forget about the word hospitality. We're there to look after people. We're not there to rip people off. And I don't know of any restaurant really off the top of my head that's ever gone, wow, we're making so much money, we don't have to worry about it. People, if I told you the rents of, of what it costs for, in the city to open, just just to open the doors, 
We're talking about a quarter of a million dollars just to open the doors. And that's a little small place. You think the big place is like Chin Chin and, and you know, poor old Andrew McConnell at the moment with, with his place. He's, he's trying to open. He's probably getting hardly any rent relief. I mean, I don't know the, the, the story, but... You know, in these new places where they're trying to employ people and the rents are so high, and you kind of go, well, hold on a minute. The city can't bounce back like that. There's no way that we'll be able to maintain the, the rents and revenues that are coming, that what, what, what was, and that's pre-pandemic. So when we go back next year, which, will, which is really, that's when we will be going back properly as to when it is, you'll have to look at it and say, well, this space used to be worth half a million dollars or a quarter of a million dollars. Is it really worth that now? paying rent and, and that will be the case and also come the end of this, this month when JobKeeper starts to like get whittled down to and all your casuals go from 750 down to 300 then they're going to go well okay that's when you're going to see a, the whites of a lot of people's eyes there you know and that's going to be hard a lot very hard along with owning uh, restaurants and a bar you also consult to uh, hotel groups like the Ovalo group which are outside of Melbourne. What's this period of time been like for you trying to consult on restaurants when you can't leave Melbourne? Well, on the one hand, it's been great because I've got three kids at home that I, that I haven't seen for, for for a long time. So you don't have to travel to Brisbane and Canberra as much. But Ovalo have been great. You're allowed to do Zoom meetings. I mean, we've been doing that. And, and, and same, I've got a hotel in Ballarat, Craig's Royal, that I go to every Wednesday. I'm, I'm allowed to go there. But, but you've just got to keep getting, keep doing, keep plugging away. But also, when you're consulting, it's like you're looking at something and saying, "Well, consulting, you don't know what the next next thing is. Next week is like, you know, in, in Victoria this week, they're going to turn around and give us a roadmap out of it. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. They could turn around and say in two weeks' time, okay, we're going to extend it for another two weeks. We won't be back to normal by Christmas, and that's that's the thing that's really scary is. We've, we've missed all the racing season, the, the end of the footy, you know. I mean, and then there, the, there are times, like normally what we do in Melbourne is as soon as we, the footy's finished, it's the spring racing carnival, and we know that's the restaurant time. That's the times that restaurants, we're busy, the weather's good, people are sitting out, people are drinking wine, people are going out to restaurants, they're heading into uh, the, with the races, everybody's getting dressed up, and it's kind of like it's a great time to be in Melbourne for the next six months because we get to Christmas, you've got Christmas parties, Straight after Christmas, you've got the tennis, then the Grand Prix, and it's a good six months in Melbourne. We've lost that now. That, that's our revenue streams are, have gone. And so we're looking at really, by the end of by March, we'll have done this for a year. So a year, you think about a business, any business that's not taking or hardly taking any money revenue-wise for a year, and how, how are they supposed to survive? And the thing that frustrates me more than anything, and, and other people I know, is they've turned it around to say, oh, it's you guys who are caught up with other people and, and you know, there's got to be a curfew and you've got to work, do this. And, and, and it's not, what do, what, do we, what do we do wrong? <laughs> I don't understand. Where did, a, where did the restaurateur open his doors and, and, and infect anybody. It was, it was here, it was brought to us. We've done the right thing. You got any restaurant now, they're cleaning benches, we're wearing masks, and it's like, well, hold on. We're trying to just operate a business. And it's not conducive at the moment, and especially not in Victoria. I mean, luckily the rest of the country, they're doing well. You know, it's very frustrating when you look at Instagram, you see people doing it, and you go, well, bloody Sydney ciders and 
you know, those northerners, you know. So, but it's it's a tough one, huh? so honestly, you look at your business and you go, well, you know what, why did I do this? You know, you've got to question yourself, why did I actually open restaurants to employ people for, this, the, for the margins that you do? And you kind of go, well, okay, I do it because you love it. That's the only reason you do it. You don't do it to make money, but you do it because you love it and this is the thing that you do and you you worked your whole life through 30 years of cooking in kitchens and doing what you do in kitchens. You think, okay, I, w- I want my own place. I don't want to be listening to people that tell me what to do anymore. You open your own place. And luckily, I had three beautiful places with the pub next door, French Saloon and Kurtz. You go, okay, that's great. I'm loving, this time last year, loving life. Amazing. Got lots of jobs, lots of things, you know, revenue coming in. You think, okay, that's great. You know, not making a lot of money at French Loom because it's expensive to run. But, you know, you're doing things and you're doing your consulting. You're doing Noosa Food and Wine Festival. You're hanging out with Spencer and Rainer up, up north. You go, wow, this is great. How good is life? And, of course, this comes along and it just kind of kicks you in the, um, in the proverbials. And you go, wow, okay. But... I don't think it's been handled properly down here, and we they've got to do something about that. Which, and and they're going to have to do that because there's a lot of people going to go to the wall, you know. And there are a lot of restaurateurs and restaurants in Melbourne. They're just not going to recover from this, and they won't be able to. And we won't have the staff to do it because when we do open, you know, you know, we're full of visa workers because yeah, yeah. There's not enough skilled Australians who who will want to do what we do in the kitchens. So when we do reopen, if we do get back to it, that we won't have those visa workers anymore. You're one of the most passionate food professionals in the industry, and you're also one of the most influential uh, operators in Melbourne's culinary history. But how did you get started in the industry? Well, I, I was I was being the naughty boy. I'd been I'd been in a little youth offenders, um, little youth offenders. Uh, a naughty boy back in the day and it was it seemed like a really good idea to either become a professional bank robber or something like that <laughs> or a master criminal which i've never be, i've never been that bright and then i just started cooking for because they said you it's a good way of traveling and meeting girls so it's always been like that. it's not like one of those romantic passion things that oh my family had a restaurant and i used to like pull on Nana's um, strings and stuff like that and all that. Nah, my mother was the worst cook ever. And uh, I just thought this will be um, this will be a good way of getting out, you know, getting out of my hometown of Coventry. And, you know, this industry that we have, it's just incredible. Like we, we are so very blessed to have people who we, we get to meet people who we would never get to meet at any other time, you know. Well, we get – we got – you know, you get your celebrities in the restaurant, but you get people who I learn so much from people that I play golf with and all that through the restaurant, and you get to meet really good people. And we're blessed in Australia, produce-wise, weather, great people. And just it's just an amazing opportunity for what we do here. And you don't do it for the money. This is the thing. You don't, you don't go, right, I'm going to make so much money now. You do it for the lifestyle it affords you so that at the end of a night, you can have a glass of Pinot that's made by Mac Forbes and go, gee, this is fantastic, you know? And that's what you do it for. And seeing the look on people's faces in your restaurant where they go, this is great. And we, luckily enough, we've done, a, we've done, we've done that in Hardware Lane. And I think ongoing, 
you know, it makes it really hard for anybody in the new business. And I think that's, that's really not fair because if you think about how many people come to Australia, what do they come for? They don't, they're not coming to Melbourne for the, for the Harbour Bridge because we don't have it. And that's the thing. So they come to Melbourne for the, the, the vibrant food scene, the bars, the restaurants, and, you know, the fact that it's great weather and it's, it's Australia. And we look after people. And, it, you know, there's value for money and it's amazing. Now that's been decimated. So for us, when we do reopen, we're going to have to get do that all the way, get that back and say, well, how do we do that when you haven't been able to trade for a year? And as they start taking more and more money away from um, on the JobKeeper, and the, um, there'll be more and more people on JobSeeker. Now, the government don't want you to do that because with that, come, they've got to give special, like, they're going to have to look after you more. Mm. And they don't want to do that. Nobody wants to see, like, lines of unemployment and stuff like that because we are going to go into re- recession. And that's when things are going to get really hard and tight. But from every restaurant, because they employ so many people, you've got all the suppliers, you've got the farmers, you've got everything else. And I don't think that they've taken our, the restaurant industry serious. I think they've just said, oh, you can do takeaway. Well, it's not quite as simple as that. <laughs> you can do takeaway. Well, how do you do it when you've got to enough visa workers and staff? Who wants to do takeaway anyway? It's not, it's not what I, I want to go into work for and say, okay, and you know, and just to, to stand there and make to try and make money and then give away X amount to to the delivery driver people, you're just not going to make that much money. And so, why do it? It just gives you more stress. Have there been some pivotal moments or restaurants that you've worked at in your life that changed your career and set you on a on the path to success? Uh I mean, you know, I mean, you get to meet people all the way along the line. Meet Fergus and hanging out with Fergus Henderson and Trevor, you know, that was like that was fantastic. I mean, it's not good for your liver, but uh, the, the reality of it is, is like, you know, that's great. So, you know, Angela Hart, you can have. I have regular conversations with Angela Hartner about stuff, and that's that's been good. But I think, you know, I, I get more value out of meeting people in my restaurants, and we just sort of like, well, we'll talk about stuff. I've got meet architects in my restaurants who are regulars and stuff like that, and you kind of go, how, how cool is it what, what they do? I mean, an architect who can design cities or buildings that's that's fantastic that's a skill and that's an art you know what we do we're a business but from a pivotal moment i just think we just do what we do and and if you enjoy it it's not it's not a job i mean what i do is not my job it's just what i do (laughs) so i get up in the morning I, i go and do that if i'm making a pizza at my other place or i'm doing something else or I'm consulting with Ovalo or Craig's Royal. It's just, that's what I do. I, I don't ever go oh, clock in, clock out. Well, that's not, that's not the way to do it. Well, you are very good at delivering great restaurant experiences, but what does it take to deliver something like French Saloon and, and an amazing experience like that? Well, I mean, my partner's like Con, who's he's amazing at design and what he does, and, and he brings he brings a wealth of experience there. Josh does the administration. For me, what the French Saloon was was a, a really casual experience that, whereas you could just enjoy yourself and go and relax and go from there. I think ongoing, it's going to be hard to recreate that for the next, I reckon, for the next six months. So I don't know how what we're going to do there. I think what we'll do, Kirk's will reopen 
and we'll do better food there at Kirk's and step the, up the ante there and just wait and see what how we all um, we all come out of this because we, we will survive this uh, us and my group and stuff like that. But as more and more people realise that it's it's not what it's supposed to be industry wise, we're going to lose a lot of really good people, a lot of really good people who. They've taken loans out. They've got mortgages, and people's houses are going to go for this and that. That's just appalling. That's just heartbreaking that you hear about things like that, and you kind of go, "Well, let's just." And they were ticking a lot, honestly. Hux, this time last year, kicking goals. We were, we were loving life, thinking about holidays, the whole thing. In January, we went skiing uh, in Japan. In February, we were in New Zealand cooking um, salmon. And in March, we're in lockdown. You got to go, wow. You know, that's how quick it was. And uh, I was in, when we were in Japan, there were people wearing masks. So I was thinking, oh, it's a bit of overkill with the masks. Look at us now. <laughs> now it's mandatory, which is, I mean, that's the way it's going to be here for the next year. Well, the Premier has said that he's going to announce what the roadmap looks like moving forward on Sunday. But what do you think some of the solutions are for the restaurant industry to get back to a bustling hospitality industry? We, 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 we definitely need to look at the penalty rates. We need to look at the penalty rates so it's fair for the owner and it's fair for the employees. Now, I, my own thing would be you split your restaurants, cafes, or whatever it is into categories and you turn around and say, okay, if you want to eat in a restaurant on a Sunday, which is, this is the category. If you're a category one restaurant, if you want to eat in a restaurant on a Sunday, Yes, there's a surcharge, and you will have to pay more to go there, but it's a restaurant. If you want to eat in a cafe, there is no surcharge, but it's a coffee. It is what it is. So we're, we're just cannibalizing ourselves by opening a restaurant on a Sunday and trying to get people to work and then complaining that we have to pay them $35, $45 an hour. So we'll, but if we close, if the, if the whole of the city of Melbourne closes, it, it's, you go back to what it used to be like in 1980, where you can't, you can't, can't do anything. So split it into categories, and you'll find that the people that want to work in restaurants, they're, they're highly skilled individuals. People who will be proud to be a chef or a waiter, I want to work in a restaurant. The people who are working in the cafe, they're your uni students. And does a uni student really need $45 an hour? I don't know. I'm, and it's not, I'm not saying like what George said, well, they're not university educated and stuff like that. If you split it, you could, you could sit down and look at it and say, hold on a minute. It's not fair. You can't have a cafe on a Sunday trading and you have to pay somebody $45 an hour. Because honestly, those staff are in there saying, huh, I have to work on a Sunday as well. You can't, you can't win. <laughs> so, so if we look at our restaurant industry and say, well, okay, let's split it into, give them I don't know, ratings out of five. If you're a restaurant, you're rating number one. And, and go down the line. And if you do want to go to View the Mond or you want to go to Gimlet or you want to go eat at whatever, you know, somewhere in Sydney, and if they're rating one, then they, of course you're going to pay more. And also all the way down the line because you've got to employ more staff, you've got to have a sommelier and the, the whole thing. And somewhere, I believe that somewhere in the middle of that would be French Saloon, would be number three, out of number three. Do we want? We don't even open on the weekends in a French Saloon because it was just too hard for us to get people in. We were a Monday to Friday restaurant. Do you think we'll see offerings change on on menus as well? Shorter menus, um, shorter period, trading periods. Yeah, hundred percent. Because you won't have the staff to do it anymore. 
So when we reopen Kirk's, we've probably got, well, like I said, we've got 10 people on um, on JobKeeper. We'll have 10 people because there's all, that's all the staff we'll have to start with. And that's the, that includes our front of house crew. So we've probably got five or six in the kitchen or four or five in the kitchen. And you've got four or five on the front. And that, that's our crew and that's uh, your staff. And you've got to rotate them through because you've still got JobKeeper until next March, hopefully. We've got to rotate them through and you've got to utilise them the best way you can. And that's the thing about business now. Everybody's gotten a, bit, a lot more business savvy recently because they've, they've realised how much we stand to lose, you know? You think of a restaurant that was taking 100 grand or, or as a complex, 100 grand a week, they've lost $5 million this year. So you think, wow, that's a year, $5 million. And you go, wow, you know? But that's $5 million that, that you had to pay tax on that the government have missed out on as well. So how do we recover from that? It's going to take at least four or five years. There's no doubt there's many challenges that lie ahead, but what are some of the positives moving forward um, out of this experience for the industry and for yourself? Well, I think the, 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 the one positive that I see is everybody's in this together at the moment. So that's the thing. There's nobody that's saying, oh, okay, that's, that's just in Queensland or that's in Perth or, you know, we're here. We're, we've, everybody has been, has been in this situation. You know, you, you're, you've done 100 podcasts. Of those 100 people, as any of them said, oh, that hasn't really affected me. No. So we've all been down there. So the positives are that we need to band together. This will, this will put a lot of people and it will band us together and, and we'll realise at the end of this, what is it we did? Why did we do this again? Why did we operate a business that we didn't have big mar- like good margins and, and the like? You know, I don't know. No restaurateur is making millions of dollars. It's, that's just not happening. And if any restaurateur is going around telling you they are, they're not telling the truth. The margins are so slim. And if you're, if you're good enough that you can make 10%, then fantastic on you, you know. But you've got to have a lot of turnover to make that 10%. And also, from that, you've got to take out all your tax. You, you run a risk of losing a lot of money opening restaurants. So we have to look at it from an industry point of view and say, look, let, let's all do this together. Let's look at it in perspective. Yes, we're going to have to put the prices of food up. Let's do it logically. Let's do it. Let's do it smart. You know, you've got cafes who have got who are not making any money because they've got they're trying to compete with the restaurant next door. Well, that's that's just not not that's just silly. You know, you got the good cafes; they've got just as good a food as some of the <laughs> some of the restaurants. You kind of go, well, how how are you making money from this? You know, people just got to be smarter about it. I know French Saloon is very close to your heart when. The industry's back up again and it's bustling and full of people again. How are you going to feel and what are you going to drink to celebrate? Well, I don't think I'll be opening French Saloon. I must admit, I can't see us opening French Saloon for another six months. For the simple fact that, one, I don't have enough staff because I don't have those visa workers. And two, Melbourne won't get the people back in the city for at least six months. So there's no way are they going to get... They, they're not going to t- flick the switch and people are going to jump on trains and you get rush hour again, you know. I get the train into, into town. There's three people on the train at the moment. So now that, you're going to get people working from home because it's safe, and, but nobody wants to get infected. And so I can't see French Saloon opening for at least six months. And, you know, and then, then you have to reassess it. Well, what do you do with the staff that you've got? Now, 
Todd and the boys and all that, they don't they don't want to work downstairs in Kirk's because, you know, they were quite enjoying working Monday to Friday at French Saloon and, you know, establishing that one hat, possibly two hats. They're going to, they're going to go, well, I don't really want to go downstairs and do charcuterie and uh, and the like. And you go, well, mate, that's, that's the offer that we've got. Now, next six months, I don't think French Saloon will open. It will be a space that we can do. Hopefully, if we get some sort of Christmas trade, maybe we can do do something at Christmas. But I can't, you know, honestly, Hucks, I can't see it for the next six months with people going into the city. And then towards Christmas, people will go, well, you know, we want, they might not even open the borders. I mean, we could we be stuck in Victoria, which is not the worst thing in the world, but also everybody wants to go away at Christmas. It's like, it's the Aussie tradition. And, you know, I just think, it's going to be hard drinking. Mate, you just got to, it was, We are so blessed with what, with what we've got here. I mean, I just think that some of the stuff, alcohol and stuff that we can drink here. The only other great positive, as I, now that I'm on my little rant, is we've we've been at home and we've realised what it is to be home. And this is the thing that kills me about people going, "Oh, I've got to go and I've got to do takeaway. I've got to do this. Stay home. Be with your kids. You know, that's the thing." Get what it's like because we know what's going to happen when we do reopen next year. And we've got we've got to go back to uh, being silly busy again, doing 80, 90 hours a week and being away. The positive is this: I've actually seen my kids now for the last uh, last six months, and you know it's been good. That part of it is the only positive, I reckon. That yeah, and you reassess, and I'll be sharpening my knives, and you know doing that, and painted a fence, and the like. What's the greatest Christmas present someone could give you leading into 2021? Oh, if they could turn around and say, hey, look, you know, it's been fixed. The vaccine's here. Um, here it is. We're going to we'll, – we'll dispense it out to you within a week. Uh, let's start 2021 um, the right way. And you kind of go, well, you know. And then your friends are happy and safe, you know. Like I, honestly, I talk to so many different chefs all the time. We catch up. You know, I spoke to Spencer the other day. You know, my fish guide, you know, from Hiramasa Kingfish, we're all in this together. And you turn around and you want them to be happy and safe and go, you know what, we're back into it. This has been like, it's been a crap year for everybody. We just need to forget 2020 and then next year go, right, you know, here it is. Like, honestly, February, we did a bushfire dinner. I had some of the best chefs in Melbourne cooking for a charity. We even got Jackie Chalinor down from Sydney. And uh, we had, we had, a, we had such a, a brilliant night. It was fantastic. A bushfire dinner. Nobody's thinking about bushfires anymore. We raised so much money for the bushfires. And then you end up saying, bushfires? Oh, yeah, that was pre-COVID. Wow, well, no. Now COVID's the thing now. And you kind of go, wow. That's how quickly we forget. So we've got to quickly try and forget COVID when it comes out. But unfortunately, that's not going to be as easy as that. We need to just go, look, 2021, let's just have a restart. Let's have a rethink. And let's just do look out for each other and each other's businesses. Well, Curly, I think you could talk till Christmas. <laughs> yeah, given, I talk a lot of answers, you know. <laughs> you, you've given us a lot to think about on the eve of uh, the announcement of the roadmap to out of COVID, um, uh, and hopefully um, there's going to be a lot more discussion and some really good decisions made. Mate, really great to catch up. Great. I look forward to seeing you. Mate, we'll hopefully see you soon for a beer when you're in Canberra, when they allow you back in. Um, but take care. Worry, I'll let you know. And keep in touch. All right. Yeah, be, be good. Give my love to Lockie. See you, mate. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.